Hi, I'm Tim Zacharias with Cougar USA and your host of Building Value. Today, I'm joined by Mike Fair with Fair Solutions. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. I'm really enjoying being here. All right. Uh, on this episode, we're going to cover uh, Fair Solutions and how they help their clients manage water quality. Also going to look at some applications and commercial buildings for water treatment and uh, filtration, as well as cover uh, some water quality issues specifically around the COVID-19 pandemic and how to address them with a plan to reopen a building. On Building Value, we go behind the scenes at some of the most iconic buildings in Texas to showcase the incredible people that design, build, and maintain them and their impact on the community. All right, so can you tell me a little bit about uh, kind of where you grew up and, and what you did after high school? Sure. No, I, I grew up in Nebraska, which is why I'm a football fan and not a, a, uh, a baseball fan, although the baseball program is good. Um, grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, ended up going to University of Nebraska, uh, getting a chemistry degree. Uh, left Nebraska and went to uh, Missouri and lived in St. Louis uh, for a while. That's where I started in the water business. So I started there in 1988 um, selling water treatment chemicals. Uh, after about a year of that, I found out that I wasn't very good at it. Um, <laughs> I, I really did not have a passion to sell chemistry, but I really uh, missed chemistry itself. So I went back and got a master's at St. Louis University um, and followed that up with a PhD at Iowa State University. So kind of kept in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, that final PhD was in physical chemistry um, and actually a lot of virus work. Um, not quite the same viruses that we're working with right now. Uh, sure. but did a lot of work on those things. And, uh, and that, was, uh, that was very interesting. And then went from there to uh, Naperville and worked for a company called Nalco uh, in research mm -hmm. and development for about six years. And then in 2003, my wife and I formed uh, Fair Solutions uh, to work with, uh, you know, clients that needed uh, assistance but didn't want to buy chemistry. Gotcha. So that was, that was the, uh, what made you make the jump was kind of switching to more of like a solutions provider, I guess, hence the name. Right, right. And so, right. So I had worked in R&D and, and had really enjoyed that. Um, you know, Nalco at that time was going from a privately held company to a um, uh, more of a uh, sorry a publicly held company to a privately held company um, they started to not be as focused on R&D as they used to be um, and also having been in it for six years I had kind of realized that not that there weren't more um, developments that could be had but the cost effective ones were really kind of gone we were really using technology still from the 70s uh, kind of repackaging it a little bit, tweaking it a little bit, but it seemed to me that there was a better way to do uh, water treatment um, versus just purchasing it in a drum and uh, and selling it. So we we started to work with our you know with clients then to to figure out how to do things better, and that's what we've been doing ever since. Nice. And so, what what would you say um, like you you would offer a typical client, and who who are the people that you would typically work with? Sure. So we typically work with, not always with larger water users, but those tend to be the people that we, we, we work with quite a bit. Um, so we work with food companies, pharmaceutical companies, energy companies, um, people that have you know, utility water, which would be boilers, cooling towers, uh, food processing, uh, some wastewater stuff, reclaim water, 
um, laboratory DI water. Um, and, and really what we do is we act, um, at least we, we, we try to act in the customer's best interest. We don't have any interest in selling chemistry. We don't have any interest in selling equipment. What we're trying to do uh, really is asset protection. So we're trying to make sure that the assets they've purchased are being protected uh, on a long-term scale. And we're trying to do that as cost efficiently and safely as possible. So we're looking for technologies that are, um, you know, maybe a little bit out of the mainstream, but have a good scientific backing behind them. Mm -hmm. So those are technologies where, you know, we can reduce water usage, for example. And if we can, we know that if we can reduce water usage, that chemistry usage follows. So we don't use nearly as much chemistry. So those two things go hand in hand. And the same with energy. So we can also decrease energy usage at the same time. And we're doing all that while we're following performance metrics. So a performance metric is something that either we've defined or a, an outside group has defined that is something that you should follow and try to meet to hit a metric, right? So for example, if you're trying to prevent corrosion in the system, right, there are corrosion rate metrics that we can follow. So we measure corrosion rates. And if those corrosion rates were to go up, we wouldn't take the appropriate action to lower those corrosion rates. Um, same with biology, right? So if there's, a, a, there's, a, there's biology metrics and how many bacteria can be per milliliter, what type of bacteria can be in their present per milliliter, and what we're trying to do is manage that population, right, in the most cost-effective way we can. So those are the kinds of things that we do. And the same for scale control. There's a, this, a mass balance approach where we can look at how much calcium and how much magnesium are in the water. We can do a ratio of those two. And then we can tell our clients whether they're forming scale or not forming scale. Um, and so the idea is to have a predictive tool that not only saves water, saves energy, improves the assets, but also allows us before they open up their equipment to know that that equipment is going to be clean, right? So that's kind of the, mm -hmm. the no surprises part of this. Uh, and while we do that, we start to get involved in a whole bunch of other different things. It's a, it's a very broad topic. And, and what happens is you end up starting to get into metallurgy and people start to buy heat exchangers and then the heat exchanger fails. And they ask you questions about why did this heat exchanger fail? And so then we have to get into that water and understand what there was in the water. Was it a chloride issue? Was it a stress cracking? Did we pick the wrong metallurgy? Um, all of those things go together um, in terms of how things work. And we just kind of have worked out that way. And it just has kind of, you know, gotten broader and broader as we go, all with the same metrics, uh, but just kind of a farther reach over simple boilers and cooling towers. Gotcha. And so, you know, it's a, like you said, it's a pretty broad uh, range sure. of things that you're covering. So how is that different than a lot of the other companies out there that are doing, say, like water analysis or water treatment? Sure. So, so typically the way it's broken down now are, are two things. You're a water treatment company, right? So and then there's a bunch of water treatment companies out there. Um, and, and if that's your main uh, focus as a company, what you do is you sell chemicals, right? Or you sell things as a package, right? So we're going we're gonna to treat all your water for X amount of dollars, right? or we're gonna sell you this, this chemistry at some dollars per pound. And if you're going to do that, you then provide some sort of service on site, right? Which is you kind of define. And, and what we found, and again, obviously I worked in this industry, but what we found there was that um, there really wasn't any reason to act in the client's best interest, right? That's, a lot of the people do, a lot of people are very good people. I, and I know I'm not trying to, to uh, all, you know, malign that industry, but mm -hmm. if you get paid to sell chemical, right? You're going to try to sell chemistry, 
right? So you trying to save water or energy for your client doesn't really align with your goals as, as a company. And if, if your goal, if how you get paid is how much chemistry you sell and that's how you put money and food on the table, that's what you're going to do, right? And the same with equipment manufacturers. So there's also people that sell equipment, the same exact thing. I'm gonna sell you the equipment that I have and this equipment's gonna do this. Now, they may not be there to support that equipment afterwards or that, that support may be different. They may not look at the entire uh, balance between chemistry and equipment when they do these kind of things. So, so that's one aspect of the industry. And then the other aspect of the industry or the other part of the industry are laboratories, right? So there's a lot of laboratories out there and those laboratories will analyze things for you, right? So you give them water, they're gonna tell you what's in the water. But that's really at the end, that's really where they end, right? So if your job is to figure out, if you're, if you're not a chemist and you're trying to figure out what that water chemistry does, those labs really aren't gonna help you because they analyze water for, for all kinds of people. You know, they don't know if this is drinking water, cooling tower water, or closed loop analysis. So what we do is we try to, um, we call it having the biggest toolbox in the world. We try to use everything, right? So we try not to go in with a predisposed, idea of this is how you're going to solve this problem. We try to gather the data, look at what's going on and say, okay, listen, here's the chemistry of what's going on. So we can, we can solve it in four different ways, right? There's a mechanical solution, a chemical solution, there's a mechanical and chemical solution. Um, and there might be another solution we haven't even thought about, right? Mm -hmm. We then put those solutions together uh, from a cost basis and then present those to the client and say, hey, here are the four ways you can do this, right? So now let's look and see how these match up with your goals, right? If your goal is to save a bunch of water and you have a piece of equipment already on site, we can use that, we can redirect things over here, that may be a great way to do it. Or maybe it's investing and figuring out what the ROI is on a piece of equipment to save water. Or maybe it's a, hey, we need a chemistry approach because we're failing today. And then we'll think about a, a, a longer, we'll think about a mechanical approach, you know, in a year and a half once we've gotten through this issue. So we don't, tr we, we try really hard not to force a solution because that's the only way to do it. We try to have a strategy as we go forward, right? And we try to make sure that that strategy will last, if that yeah. makes sense. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like you said, you're aligning um, what you're doing with the customer's interest for sure. And you're right. not associated with any one specific technology or the other Correct. Right. Independent. right. And we, we, right. And we will not take money from, so we don't take any money from anybody. You know, there, there are absolutely technologies that we like, and we've talked about this, sure. um, that there are technologies that would, that we have vetted. Right. And once we vet a technology, it kind of goes into our good technology. Um, you know, we, we trust this technology. Does it mean it's right everywhere? Absolutely not. But it is a technology that we understand. We can apply that and we can use that when necessary. And then there's technologies that are kind of in that, that gray area where maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, we don't have enough information yet. So we'll, we'll consider that, but really, you know, not, not in, a, in, a, in a really rational way yet. We're trying to figure out what's going on. And then there's technologies that, you know, we have, we've tried and we know that they don't work. And so we put those in another, you know, another bin, trash bin, and we don't, we don't use those anymore. But right. you know, th those are the kind of things that we're trying to do so that we have a, a huge portfolio of, of ways to solve a problem. No, I think it's a great approach, like I said, to align yourself with, um, you know, the, the customers or the, the end client's goals right. uh, is great. And it, you know, like you said, incentivizes you to be doing what's right for them uh, right. as well. So right. you know, we're, and, and we're, we're pretty focused. I know a lot of the work that you do is uh, like in some of the food, 
food processing or food service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're a little more focused into the commercial market. Yeah. Um, you know, so high rise commercial office buildings, hospitals, hotels, yep. we, we have some uh, district plants here uh, in, in the Houston area. So I'd just like to talk a little bit about some of the applications that you've worked in in some of the commercial buildings. Right. So we, we work in a, in, in a bunch of commercial buildings, right? So, so commercial buildings typically have, you know, three, you know, three to five areas where we might overlap with that commercial building. So most of them have a chilled loop in them, right? So they have some mm-hmm. sort of loop that's, that's, you know, what they would consider closed. Um, depending on where you are in the country, they also can have a hot loop, right? Houston may not have hot loops, but uh, other areas do. <laughs> we, we do. They're just not used that much. More, maybe more for humidity control than anything else. <laughs> exactly. Um, then depending on whether they're hooked up to a, uh, a district energy site, they may or may not have their own cooling tower system, mm-hmm. right? So you've got those three things, which are, are typically the main things. And after that, you've got the potable water system, right? And so we, we've done a lot more work in the potable water systems recently. Um, and that's with just managing the quality of drinking water and, and typically understanding how that water runs through the building. And by, but what I'm really saying is that as we have been driven towards um, reducing water consumption overall, we have all these water saving features that are coming in, right? So we have, we have eyes on our, on our faucets, we have low flush toilets, um, all of which are great. The problem with them is that the way the water system was designed originally didn't really account for that reduction in water usage. Therefore, what happens is the life of that water or the amount of time that water resides in the building has gone way up. Sure. As that life goes up or as that, that residence time in the building goes up, the disinfectant that's there goes down. So you've kind of got these two things working against each other. And, and what we've spent a lot of time working on over the past couple of years are technologies and how we can address that without you know, wasting water. Because if the solution to that problem is flush, I've really kind of wasted my money on low flush toilets and eyes and on the, on the, you know, the, the, the faucets. It just doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense to me, right? And really, that was the only solutions that we've really had. We've looked at, you know, <clears throat> and, and these are there, there are lots of technologies out there. We've looked at at ways to add disinfectant. Um, there's there's ways to do that. Um, we still run into issues with that disinfectant doesn't go unless the water goes there. So you're still stuck with flushing to get it there. So you've added a complexity to that building as well as not really solve the problem, right? And that's kind of where we've gotten. Um, where we have started to um, recommend and use the, the triple clear technology, as right? so we've talked a little bit about that, mm-hmm. um, as a technology that has helped us solve this problem, right? So the triple clear technology, we've kind of vetted that in terms of the, it functions, it removes bacteria, it removes viruses, it allows us to put it in, in, in the beginning of the building, as well as at the, the end use points, and allows us to make sure that after that point, we know that the, the, the water is, you know, substantially bacteria free, right? Or at least a six log reduction in bacteria, which is what we care about, right? Sure. And that's becoming more important now, even with the, with the COVID-19 is because, you know, when you restart your building, you're really, you need to replace all your filters. You can't let them sit, right? Now, one of the advantages that we're seeing from this particular technology is that you don't have to replace this technology. And that's because it has a built-in biocide within it with the silver ions, right? And it maintains its electrostatic charge, right? So 
for, from, from my client standpoint, when I'm trying to protect their, their spend, if I have to go and tell them, because this is going to happen again, this, this whole pandemic thing, this is not the last pandemic we will probably go through unless, I, mean, I hope it's not, but probably not. Um, if you have to, you know, go through this again, replace, you know, I mean, a, a building can have 50, 60, 100 filters in its drinking fountains. Um, if you have to replace all those, that's expensive, right? So if sure. I cannot replace those and I don't replace them until I need to, that's a cost savings for my client, as well as making sure that that water is bacterial free, right? So those are the kind of things that we're looking at from a commercial standpoint, a commercial building standpoint, um, in terms of what's going on, um, as well as some, uh, as well as fountains, right? So we look at fountains, decorative fountains in those systems, uh, making sure that those comply with ASHRAE 188, um, as well as you know the potable water, the hot water systems, um, are all things that we end up looking at. And, and touching in some way or another in terms of, of you know, the chemistry that's going on in that system. Yeah, we, we've seen, uh, you know, decreased occupancy here in Houston, and we, we've had less of a shutdown uh, than some of the other cities, but still lower occupancies. And, you know, we've done flow audits on domestic water and see on even a fully occupied building, an average of one to two gallons per minute per floor. I mean, it's just not a lot of right. water moving through these buildings. So even lower occupancies, like you mentioned, maybe another pandemic or just an extended period of lower occupancy where people are working from home. Who knows? Definitely right. We don't know. Issue. Exactly. Yeah. We have no idea when this, this is going to happen. And, and so, you know, one of the things that we try to give our clients is a guideline, right? So you can say things like, well, all right, I have some people in the building, so it's not unoccupied, right? Well, yes, but you still have higher residence time of your water. So how do you know what's going on? Well, the only way to know is to test. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a, an expensive test, but if you just buy, and again, you can go to the pool store and buy a chlorine tester. We, we've recommended the ones from Hawk, but you can go in, get a little strip and go around and test the drinking fountains, right? Or the, uh, the sinks. If you have a chlorine residual, you're fine, right? You, you know that that water's residence time is good. If that, if that isn't good, right? If you're not getting, if you're getting zeros on chlorine, you have to flush. Well, how long do you flush? You flush until you get chlorine, right? That's, <laughs> that's the metric, right? Which sounds obvious, but if you don't let people know how long to flush, then it's going to be subjective and open to interpretation, right? And as we've seen through this pandemic, the more subjective and open to interpretation things are, the worse it gets, right? So we really want to be very directive Here's the guideline, flush until you get a half a part per million of free chlorine, because at that point, you know that you've got fresh water in the system and that water is substantially bacterial free, right? So that's the important thing for us in terms of that. And then in terms of just, you know, planning, right? Making sure you understand what you need to do, right? Because what's gonna happen is we're all busy, we're all, you know, we're either not paying attention because, you know, we're, we're not engaged at work or we're super engaged at work and we're really not planning. So somebody's going to come to you in a week and say, okay, time to open the building. And you're going to go, what? And so having a plan, right? So knowing that I need to have all the filters in stock, right? To replace every single filter, right? That, that, that right there is difficult, right? But if you haven't thought about it and they tell you to open up a building in a week, you're not going to be able to get those filters. So get your filters in stock. Right. Make sure you've got a plan in place for, you know, if you've got a water softener feeding the kitchen, it needs to be regenerated. Right. You can't let that thing sit. 
right? All of these little pieces of the puzzle have to be thought out. And that's what, you know, that's part of what we're trying to do right now. We're spending a lot of time is having meetings saying, okay, listen, where are all the filters in this system, right? Where are all the water softeners? Where are all the sinks? All your sinks have eyes on them. Do you know how to disable those eyes so that you can flush? Right? You don't want to wake up that morning to flush and realize you have no idea how to disable that eye so that it will flush you know, all the time. You know, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but having that plan in place and then a way to document how you are flushing and that you're getting a residual um, is critical to how you are going to open up that building safely. Because if you don't, you know, then you're just gonna have more issues down the line. right? And that goes beyond potable water as well. So if you've got a water reclaim system, right? And that water reclaim system hasn't, it's just been sitting there, right? You may need to disinfect that water reclaim system, right? You need to check those ultraviolet lights on there, right? You need to make sure that those things have been serviced. You need to make sure that you've, you know, changed out your ultraviolet light bulbs, you know, your UV bulbs the last year. You've changed your sleeves, right? Mm -hmm. Those quartz sleeves, because those are things that people generally don't do. Um, and then decide, you know, have I done enough? This is the time to clean things, right? So if, if you're not cleaning things right now, you know, that's some, it, it's time to do it. You know, making sure that on your hot water system, right? So your hot water system hasn't run. So what are you supposed to do? Well, you have to flush it. You have to flush everywhere. And you have to flush until you get the temperature you're supposed to get. So if you deliver at 120 degrees Fahrenheit, you need to check 120 you know, so that you make sure you get that water there. And that's a challenge. And if you haven't thought through how much time that's going to take, so you, you know, you pick a 50 story building, you know, that's going to take you three to five days of work, you know, sure. a couple of guys. And if you haven't planned that out yet, you know, this is the time to start planning it out and understanding what you're going to do. Um, because otherwise you're going to get to a place where you're going to do this poorly and the consequences are you're going to have water that's, that, that's you know, potentially hazardous. And that's what we're trying to prevent. That's what, and that's, that's what the CDC recommends, right? So if you go to the CDC website, they, they have a link there. They kind of give you a general outline of what to do, right? And then part of what I've sent you is just a checklist, right? Because taking that and having a checklist as you go through this is the best way to do it. Um, so if you've got a checklist and then thinking about things like cooling towers. So if my, if my loads are way down, and I've got four cells up there on my on my my roof of my office building, and I'm only using one cell, right? And three of them are sitting stagnant. I should be on a daily basis, right, or every other day, you know, changing which cell is circulating so that I make sure that I don't get stagnant water up there. So those are all things that people should be thinking through. Same with swimming pools, right? So again, you have a swimming pool. Is it being used right now? Depends where you live. A lot of places, no. So are you maintaining it? Or are you not maintaining it? Um, so those are all things that should be looked at as the, as you go. And if you have, for example, let's say, and again, I don't know if you guys work in the hospitality industry or not, mm -hmm. but you know, if you have a hotel room, right? So now think about the people that have hotels, right? I have, I have 150 rooms. I need to flush every room, right? Yep. You, you, and that's, that's something that needs to be done and documented. And so what we are seeing people do or what we're advising people to do is, you know, is we're working with people. So a lot of them still have cleaning staff that are on site. And to help stay ahead of this is that let's use that cleaning staff to go through, document what they're doing so that when it does come time to open up, you can just walk in there, do a quick test, say, yeah, the free chlorine's in range, I'm good to go. Or say, no, I've got to do a little more flushing and get that free chlorine up there. But you'll at least have your started that process down the road versus not having a process. 
Yeah. And those are great guidelines that you put together and uh, we appreciate you sharing those mm -hmm. with us and we'll, we'll definitely make those available, um, you know, for people to, uh, to download and, and I believe mm -hmm. it has all your uh, contact information on there as sure. well. So, yeah. and, you know, I just want to go back to a, a little bit on what it is that we're trying to prevent or what the potential is. You said that the potentially hazardous water, and I mean, we're not talking about COVID-19. It's not a waterborne virus right, right. So, so it's correct right and you know but but the you know there have been some headlines of buildings where um you know there's like say it's a, a old folks home or a retirement home and it's sure. uh you know they've had patients that had covid there and they've moved out or and then they have lower occupancy and then get legionella in the building and then correct. that can lead to other issues so can you talk just a little bit about the, the bacteria side yeah. of that or what we're trying to prevent Right, right. So, so you know, we, we have some of the safest water in the world in the United States. It's fantastically safe. However, you know, even though it's very, very safe, that doesn't mean that it's bacterial free, right? And people sometimes get confused about that because we talk about bacteria in terms of how many bacteria there are per milliliter of water, which is a very small unit. Um, so I may get no bacteria in one milliliter of water, but if I were to expand that out to a thousand milliliters, I might find two bacteria per thousand. Okay, that's fine. That's still totally acceptable. It's not going to hurt you to drink that. That'll be fine. However, when that two bacteria, when those two bacteria get into your building and then they sit around and they don't have any chlorine because the chlorine has dissipated, then they start to multiply, right? That's what bacteria do. So those two bacteria can you know, very quickly, logarithmically grow to very large numbers. And if they happen to be Legionella and there happens to be you know, a place for them to grow, Legionella bacteria can also do the exact same thing. So what we're trying to do is prevent that disinfectant from going away because that's what maintains the control of the bacteria. So as that water sits there, the bacteria grow, right? And then the, 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 the first guy or, or, or woman that, that turns on that shower, right, or that drinking fountain or that other area that, or that, you know, aerosolization source, right, shower, whatever, um, tends to then inhale that bacteria, right? And when that bacteria is inhaled, those water droplets go into your lungs, that's when you potentially can catch Legionnaire's disease, right? So that's really what we're trying to prevent. Um, in terms of how things are going, and you're absolutely right. In fact, you know, old folks' homes, you know, extended care facilities, you know, those are places where you have a population that's susceptible to Legionnaire's sure. disease to begin with. Um, and if that water is not moving, um, you can have some real issues with those kind of things. Um, and so, what we're trying to prevent, really, really, the whole CDC guideline right now is to prevent uh, a Legionnaire's outbreak on top of a COVID-19 outbreak when we all go to back. And that's really what we're trying to do: is that you know. If you think historically, you know, we've never had a situation like this before in our lifetime, right? Where everybody has stayed home for six, seven, eight, nine, you know, could be three months before mm -hmm. we all go back. And even then it may not be, you know, as, as, as we used to. So this is not going to go away tomorrow, right? This is going to be something that you may have to flush for, you know, six months, you know, on a routine basis. And you may have to manage your population in your system, right? So we work with some large buildings in downtown Chicago. Well, they have, you know, 55 floors. About four of those floors are occupied right now. The rest of the people are staying home. So they need to know. And then some of the floors switch. Sometimes they'll bring a, a company and say, well, we're going to be here for a week. Right? So they need to know about that, right? They need to communicate. 
understand where they're at, and then come down and say, we're going to flush before you get here, right, to make sure things are good, you know, and make sure all those things are, are where they're supposed to be. Um, and then you have to make sure that as you do that communication, right, that you're also documenting what you're doing. Because ultimately, this is a liability situation, sure. right? Because, because the difference between COVID-19, right, where COVID-19 is something that you have to really catch from, you know, human-to-human transmission, Legionnaire's disease has never been shown to have a human-to-human transmission. It's an environmentally acquired disease. And if you're going to acquire something from an environment, you know, ergo, that means you did something wrong, Mr. Building Owner, right, or Ms. Building Owner, because you didn't control the environment correctly. And so, you know, the, the potable water supply is deemed safe, and therefore something happened in your building, and therefore I'm going to sue you, right? And, and nobody wants that. And, and again, and it's also just part of, you know, being a human being and, and not wanting people to get sick, because sure. th- there's nothing good about that either, right? I mean, it, it, it's about, you know, your brand and everything else, right? You, you don't want to be that, you know, ex, you know, hospitality company that had the Legionella outbreak, right? We've had those in Chicago. In fact, we had them all over the place. And, and it really puts a, you know, a, a poor name on your brand. Yeah. So you mentioned um, kind of the, the, the process of, or, or the, the priorities being the, some of the point of use filters, mm-hmm. things like that. So, and I know that you have, in the guidelines, some pretty um, in-depth, you know, but even like the the flushing routine that you talked about, it's mm-hmm. pretty well spelled out in there. So um, just some like, you know, if it were kind of the high points of places to concentrate for the, when they're opening their, their building back up, kind of those, the point of use, filtration, uh, hot water systems, and then I guess the cooling tower loops are going to be the big areas potential for that Legionella bacteria. Or other right. Material. And so exactly. And, and, and so, you know, it's definitely making sure you know where all your filters are and you get those replaced. Um, you know, flushing your shower systems, right? That, that step that those are really important. And the cooling towers are interesting because, you know, these buildings still have maintenance staff and they're still doing some cooling. So that, that, that's something they need to be doing today is making sure that they are, they're managing that, uh, that system so it doesn't remain stagnant because it'll turn on on its own, right? So if you're gonna keep your, it's, it turns out apparently in Houston, it's humid, right? And, and yucky. Just a little and bit. So, <laughs> just a little bit, right? And it's probably humid now already, right? Or at least, well, it's getting there. So you, you don't want your buildings to get moldy. So you're going to run some cooling to keep that there. So you wanna make sure that that cooling tower today, even though it's not working as hard, is not getting stagnant and that there's a biocide residual on a regular basis in there. So that when it does go back to being all, you know, all systems go, it's ready to rock and roll. Um, and you don't have any issue with, with biocide at that point or, or Legionella growth. Yeah. So uh, what would you say, uh, you know, if we're looking a little further out, you know, mm-hmm. six months, a year, five years out, how do you think, that this the the COVID nineteen the pandemic everything that's been going on is going to change building designs or our water quality control going forward. Well, there's a couple things that I hope happen. Uh, you know, one of the things that that would really make a lot of this a lot simpler is if we had recirculating domestic water systems, right? So right now, the way our domestic water systems work is they go into the building and then they don't move until somebody calls for water. Right. And so because of that, there's no way to monitor what's going on. 
right? You could put a monitor on there, but it's not gonna help you. So if you have a recirculating system, right, that you can monitor a, a disinfectant level, and in fact, you could bump that disinfectant level very easily and have it circulate. Mm -hmm. And that way you cut down on the amount of area that you have to uh, waste and treat, right? To, to get a disinfectant level come up. So, you know, longer term, and that's a difficult retrofit for a building, right? They just aren't designed for sure. that. Um, but for new buildings, that would be what I would recommend people look at, right? And, and we're starting to see those recirculating systems, you know, crop up in terms of discussion. Um, so, so that's an important thing and, and not that difficult to do. And you don't have to recirculate every square foot of it, but if you recirculate the mains, um, you know, and you just have the takeoffs that you have that that would really mm -hmm. cut down on, on, on issues in terms of this. So you, um, you would essentially design your cold water like you would a hot water with a return loop. Exactly. That would balancing be valves bingo. and branch, you know, coming back, return bumps. So I'm just curious, how, how would uh, the 90.1, ASHRAE 90.1 standard, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a gray area on the, on the hot water side where you have the pump running continuously. Yeah. You'd have something similar on, on the domestic yep. side. And I guess it's a trade-off of, the energy versus having it really clean is. water. So exactly right. And so, wh where would you do this, right? So this would be more important in in areas where you're going to have, um, you know, people that have susceptibility, right? So if, if I'm in an, you know, again, uh, an extended care facility, mm -hmm. uh, a hospital, um, you know, places like that, those are where I would really focus on it because I think you're you can argue that the safety at that point is it's much more important at that sure. point than the, the minimal energy usage, right? Um, big, huge office buildings, again, it depends on how much water is being stored and, and what your population is. If you have a whole lot of showers, um, you know, things like that, those are things that you would definitely want to, um, you know, make sure that you have a recirculating system, right? So that, that's one way to do it, but it's not the only way to solve it, right? So the, the other way is to improve that filtration that's going into the building, right? So if we don't let that material into the building, then we have, uh, we're, we're much, or at least we reduce the amount, we have a much better shot at keeping the disinfectant going, as well as when that disinfectant does go away, making sure that we can uh, protect the system all the way through. So for those kind of systems, right, an alternative method would be to put a, you know, a point of entry filter in that doesn't remove the disinfectant, but really is, you know, focused on bacterial removal, right, as well as a point of use filters, right, so that you get it from both ends, right? So if you're gonna have a drinking fountain or put it on a hot water system, right? So that again, you have it on that return, uh, you have it on that supply so that you're able to manage that bacterial population within there. So th those are two things that I think are going to become um, a lot more prevalent as we go forward because we're just gonna have less use in these buildings, at yeah. least for the short term. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And you know, we had an incident here in Houston about it feels like six years ago, but I think it was only about six months ago um, <laughs> sure. where there was a, a main line, main city line that uh, broke. It's an eight mm -hmm. foot line that served, I think, half the city. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, so everybody was under a boil notice and it was, uh, it was yep. a real challenge for the buildings that had those boil notices and the flushing and everything that we're talking about now, they had to do, you know, right away. Because uh, it, it was a temporary situation. And again, it's not that the sure. city water supply is, was bad, but at that point it was open and you don't know right? with anything. Right. So uh, right. I think it's just a little bit more that point of entry filtration solution, especially for maybe the healthcare 
uh, and even commercial office, I mean, they still have similar liabilities with their tenants. So it's a little more top Correct. of line now, I think, uh, at least. Agreed. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I think those two things will be, will be big. And, and just improving the overall monitoring of the systems, right? We tend to, um, I, I guess I use the word believe, right? So we, we believe the water coming in is good, so I'm going to believe it's mm -hmm. good all the way through. And so, you know, again, things that can test quickly, right? We've talked about the, you know, the Legionella test that you can do in 45 minutes, right? That, that's a way for you to have some confidence that what you've done uh, really works out well. Um, and so those are things that I think are going to become more prevalent. Um, there are some other technologies that are starting to come up in terms of uh, material that is, um, you know, more, more online monitoring for some heavy metals, things like that, uh, just to make sure that that water supply is safe all the way through. So I, I think all of that is going to continue. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to have effects, not just on the potable water systems. I mean, having cleaner water coming in and that's feeding your uh, mechanical system sure. will lead to better performance as well. Right. Absolutely. Right. So yeah, anything, anything you can do to, to decrease the bacterial loading that goes into the cooling tower is going to help you out. Right. All of those things are, are really good for it. Um, and then, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, but, you know, reverse osmosis technology is changing. So things where we wouldn't have considered putting an RO in to feed a cooling tower. Uh, those technologies are now at a point where, you know, it's economical to do so. I mean, we're in the process of in Chicago, uh, putting a 400 GPM RO on top of an office building um, to serve a large cooling tower system. And the payback on that system is about three and a half years. Um, which is fantastic, right? So, mm -hmm. so those are things that we're starting to see um, just, you know, uh, kind of a, a renaissance in the technology of what's going on. Um, and that, that, that I think will ultimately continue to be driven uh, just by uh, making sure that water is safer and make sure that we know that, you know, we can go into a building, drink the water, walk by the building, not get infected from the cooling tower. All of those things are important and will continue to work. Yeah, and I, I think the, the ultimate consumers of the water, the tenants or the patients are also going to be more aware of what is in that water or want to know how the water has been filtered or treated. You know, the more that we're sure. carrying around our hydro flasks and refilling uh, at, at the filling stations rather than carrying around bottled water. So uh, I, I think in, it's going to, mm -hmm. people are just going to be more aware in general. So yeah, the, the no, I, I agree completely. To, to give them that peace of mind is, is, uh, is going to be a good thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And I said, you know, the, we've talked a little bit about, about it before, but the, the on-site generation piece is, is something that we, you know, didn't anticipate would have, you know, that there'd be benefits. So, you know, we, we've got, uh, again, O'Hare Airport, uh, they have an on-site generator where they generate a, a chlorine peroxide solution called a mixed oxygen mm -hmm. solution. Well, during this COVID, you know, epidemic or pandemic, they, um, they were unable to get bleach to do hard surface sanitization, right? So they were able to take the disinfectant from this mixed oxidant system and apply it over on hard surfaces and other areas. And so hmm. there's a supply chain uh, aspect of this that you know really uh, I didn't think about until we really had started to get into this. And, and that's something that you know, we have a lot of clients that are you know they they're starting to think not just how am I going to reopen up, but how am I going to prevent things from happening again? You know, what were my pinch points when I went through this pandemic, right? Okay, we all figured out how to use Zoom and we all figured out that we could, <laughs> right? That, that, okay, I didn't yep. have to go to work today, right? I could have the same interactions and meetings from, from home, okay? What else can we do, 
right? How am I going to not have supply chain issues? And so those are kind of things where you can bring things in-house uh, to do, then, then, then you have one less, you know, chink in your armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really interesting. It's just not something you think about normally. Yeah, um, yeah you don't yeah. until it happens. And then all of a sudden you, you, you know, again, and, and, you know, fun isn't the word I would ever use to, to describe what we're going through, but part of the, you know, part of where I, I see successful people and people that are going to make it through this is how am I going to meet this challenge? What do I have available sure. today? How do I do it? And if you can meet that challenge and you can figure out some interesting ways, you will be fine long term. Um, and, and those are things that are important for people to understand, not just from a you know water standpoint, but just from a life standpoint. Yeah, I, I think it is important to to kind of keep positive during times mm-hmm. like this and, and look for those kind of silver linings going forward. I've had a few other conversations on the podcast and on a similar theme. And I think everybody's hoping that, uh, you know, while this is, is tragic and obviously we feel for mm-hmm. all of the families that absolutely uh, have lost, but hopefully we're able to come out of this a little bit better and, and uh, you know, be better uh, as a society because of it. Or Yeah, we have to. Maybe yeah, that, that really <laughs> Right. It, it, you're absolutely right. In spite or despite, you, you have to become better society because sure. that, that's critical for everything here. And what, you know, our, our contribution or our tiny little contribution is, is making sure that the buildings are safe when they open. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's why, you know, we, we made the list. We're, we want everybody to have the list of what to do. Right. I don't care. You know, call me if you have a question. Uh, this is not something that we're looking to charge people for. Right. This is how do you open up a building? You know, and I hope people take it and improve upon it. Right. Because I'm not saying it's the end all be all list and it's not going to fit everything but let's let, let's work together to make sure that everybody reopens a building and we don't have another you know we don't have a legionnaire's outbreak someplace then then we'll have been successful yeah so i i do i want to ask you one, one quick question Absolutely. on the 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 water fountains uh mm-hmm. slash filling stations and then we'll pick back up on the uh the advice so mm-hmm. Specific on the fill stations, you know, the, uh, the more, like I said, the more people are using these hydro flasks and not carrying around mm-hmm. bottled water. Can you talk about the research that you've done on these and how they've, how you found Legionella in them and what the risk is there? Sure. Right. So, so one of the things that we, we, we do is we manage particularly large campuses. We manage a bunch of large campuses in the Chicago area. Um, and that involves, you know, making sure that that water, that, that, that they drink and that they they shower with is safe. And so, when you when you pick a very large campus, you you start with the most obvious issues and then you move your way down. And so, one of the things that we were testing was drinking fountains. And obviously, a lot of these drinking fountains today have carbon filters on them, right? Um, and these carbon filters are there to do you know important things, right? They do take out lead. They do take out you know, arsenic. They do take out things that are not supposed to be in the water. However, they also take out chlorine and they do that for taste, you know, primarily because people don't enjoy the, the flavor of it. The problem is that, you know, um, that allows bacteria to grow, not only on the carbon filter itself, but post-carbon. Um, and so we made an assumption, right? And when, when you make assumptions, right, you, you often make mistakes. I didn't use the other one, but you make mistakes. And so <laughs> our, our, initial, our initial assumption was that, well, the carbon filter must also really protect you against bacteria. So 
because the metric we used was chlorine, right? So we would go to the ones that didn't have carbon filters because it's a huge campus, and we would find chlorine sometimes and not chlorine sometimes. When we didn't find chlorine in the ones without carbon filters, we would often find Legionella, right? And that's not an unheard of thing, right? Chlorine goes away. Um, and then what we did accidentally, right, which is how great things happen, is we accidentally started testing these ones with carbon filters, and we found Legionella in them as well. Um, and that was something that was a bit eye-opening to us because we didn't expect to find Legionella in these systems because we, our assumption was that somebody had tested this. So we went back to the manufacturer and the manufacturer said, no, we haven't tested it. We just assumed that the cold water, you hear the assume word a lot now, right? Uh, we assumed that the cold water would really, you know, prohibit the growth. And what we found is that that's not true. So of, uh, of about 50 carbon filter systems that we tested, of that 50, about 18 of them had positive Legionella, right? Which is a pretty high number, uh, much higher than we expected. And so that's kind of where we started this search for what are we gonna do? Because what would happen is we would, you know, the, the fallback position immediately was change the carbon filter. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, you would change it. And two weeks later, it would be fine. Four weeks later, you'd have Legionella back in the system again. Wow. So your alternative at that point is you really just have a couple of alternatives then at this point. One was to not put the carbon filter back in at all, right? Just run it without a filter. The problem with that is then the, the taste issue becomes, you know, becomes to the forefront or comes to the forefront and people don't want to drink the water. And then you're back to, I don't have any water moving in the system. So you need to move the water and have people use it, but you don't want to waste the water by having people, you know, flush, flush, flush. And one of the problems with drinking fountains is flushing them is very time consuming. Right, so you have to have somebody come in, they either have to take it apart and flush it down a drain, or you've got to put a piece of tape on there and then hope somebody doesn't get it, and you've got to put a sign on there. So it's really painful, and it and mm -hmm. took a lot of man hours. So we were, we were really, you know, kind of uh, stressing out the plumbing crew at this large university because we were asking them to flush so much. So that's when, you know, as we were looking around for possible solutions, that's when that, the, you know, the, the filter technology that's able to remove uh, Legionella, the triple clear stuff, um, really, you know, was kind of that solution that, that we needed for this particular problem, right? So now we know that if we put the triple clear filter in there, you know, the bacteria level goes to zero. We do a post, we, we clean post, right? So we, we clean first, mm -hmm. right? Because in these, in, these, uh, in these drinking fountains, typically the water comes in, goes to the filter, and then goes to a reservoir. That reservoir is about a half a gallon or so. So you get nice cold water out. It makes perfect sense, right? It's a, it's a mm -hmm. decent design for that. The problem is that you need to clean that 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 material out of there, anything that would be in that uh, that reservoir. And so that took a little figuring out how to get peroxide or bleach in there and clean it. And then once you figure that portion of it out and you put the filter in, what we found testing-wise after that is we haven't had any positive Legionellas or even positive you know, bacteria levels over our limit. So all the bacteria has been under that 10 CFU per ml. Um, theoretically, potable water can have up to 250 CFUs per ml and still be considered potable. Um, so oh, we've wow. had very low chlorine, uh, sorry, very low bacteria levels, um, and we haven't had any repeat counts. Um, and, then, and then, you know, what we, as we work through this with our client as the solution, right, they also are, are concerned about costs because costs are costs, right? And everybody, nobody wants to spend more money than they have to. One of the other positives to this is that the, the filter itself um, goes until it, it basically plugs up, right? Versus a carbon filter, which will continue to flow pretty much forever, 
right? It's really, it's really hard on potable water to stop a carbon filter from flowing. Where the benefit mm. of this filter is when it does plug up, that means that you, know, you have now used everything up in that filter. It's now plugged. It doesn't want, you know, it's full of bacteria. It doesn't want to go anymore, right? And so now we know that we're going to get a call that says, hey, my water fountain's not, not going, so it's time to change that filter versus changing a filter just to change a filter, right? And so from a cost saving standpoint, we actually found that there was a payback for these of about a year uh, to get that filter uh, in the system because we, we were, they were basically changing filters out four times a year. And now we can go a year to two years without having to change a filter depending on the system. Yeah. And that's the savings of the cost of the material and the time, right? I mean, it's, it's exactly. time consuming to have these guys go around uh, and change out the filters. So the, the, one of the things that I found really interesting about this um, mm -hmm. when we talked about it last was that, you know, this is, we're talking about a, a drinking fountain and mm -hmm. that the Legionella bacteria has to be aspirated. And so right. what's the risk at the water fountain? Right. Yeah. So the risk is that there's a certain subset, right? There's a certain part of the population that aspirates when they drink, right? So aspirates basically means that in the back of your throat, you are, you are making some bubbles, right? If you're making those bubbles in the back of your throat, they can get through to your trachea and they can get into your lungs. I have no idea who aspirates. You may aspirate, I may aspirate. I have no idea, <laughs> yeah, but it's... I can't assume. I can't put a sticker on that says, you know, aspirators, please don't drink out of this thing. <laughs> it doesn't work, right? So you have to do that to make sure that you, you know, you have to protect everybody. Sure. And that kind of gives us that protection. Yeah, so it's been an interesting um, application for the triple clear, the force field filter that, mm -hmm. that you described. Um, and, and so we do have the, the point of use filters you can put ahead of them or, you know, mm -hmm. to serve like a multiple or the direct um, screw and replacements now. Uh, right. And we, we, the, the, uh, the units, yeah. Yeah, and those are really nice. Like I said, you know, part of the solution was it also had to be visually pleasing, right? I sure. can't. I can't have a, you know, a billion dollar building where I have, you know, external filters on every below, even, you know, even though they're protecting people, it doesn't help. And then, you know, what we're, what we're really recommending, um, particularly, you know, for these new buildings or retrofits is, you know, to go in and do a point of use or point of entry as well, uh, because that just protects the other parts of the building, you know, because sure. if you, if you find Legionella in one spot in the building, right? It's in other places as well. It's not like it just goes to the carbon filter and hangs out. There's no, there's no attraction there, but you're going to find it in other areas, right? And if you find it in other areas, you continue to have risks. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and I want to get to your advice here in a second, but I'm, mm -hmm. you know, the point of entry, is kind of that firewall for the incoming water, uh, then the point of use, and then the testing, you know, those three kind of combined give you pretty good uh, at a high mm -hmm. level, a pretty good plan for the water quality, right. at least on, on right. the potable side. So, you know, if you're, you know, specific to, I, I know you have the in-depth guidelines specifically on reopening the buildings and, mm -hmm. um, you know, we appreciate you doing that. We're going to share those uh, mm -hmm. with everyone, but whether it's specific to COVID or just in general, what advice would you have for property and facilities managers around their, their water quality? Well, I, I think the, the, the most important things are to have a plan Right. And that's just not just COVID. Just have a plan for your water system. Right. When we react to problems, we generally do a really crappy job of fixing that problem. Right. So have a plan. And that plan includes performance metrics. Right. So define what the performance is for a system. 
right? So whether that's, you know, uh, let's say that on your potable water system, you've got a, you know, a 40 story building, whether that's once a month going to 10 faucets on different floors and testing for chlorine, right? If you find after four or five months that you always have chlorine, great, okay? You can back it off. But after four or five months, if you continually find that areas are low in chlorine, address those issues, either with filtration, flushing, something, right? So that you can solve that problem. So those are, you know, having that plan, it's the same for cooling towers, right? Have performance metrics in place, uh, closed loops, right? Make sure your filtration is in place. Having those things in, in place, having a plan to deal with things is the best way to ultimately not have problems right? Or at least to know what the heck is going on and be able to plan for things. Um, and so typically when we get involved with the building, it's because there's a big issue, right? And so then we all get to sit down and say, if only we had done this six months ago, a year ago, you know, those kind of things. And so, you know, those aren't fun conversations for us, right? Because it's no fun to look at somebody and say, we told you, you should have done this, or, you know, you should have done this kind of thing right here. It's get a plan in place. And if you get that plan in place, you can at least work towards a solution. Yeah, I think it's great advice. What is it? The uh, ounce of planning is worth the pound of cure. Is that the? It is, and, and people forget lines. about it. Right? <laughs> and and that goes along with you know not just the water, but all the equipment, right? And that's for pumps, that's for softeners, that's for UV systems, right? All of those things should have a plan associated with them, right? You don't want busy work. I'm not, you know, you know, obviously as you get better at things, you can extend the, the life or, or that you have to go look at something, but, but get that together and have, have that in place to, to save yourself trouble and heartache down the, down the, uh, the road. Sure. And I, like you said, though, this, this will have an ROI when you're extending the life of that system or improving the heat transfer performance, the, you know, all of those things. Um, so it's not just the, the liability of, getting rid of the bacteria. Right, absolutely. Because I mean, and again, ultimately what you want is you want your, if you're a building operator, if you're, if you're a property manager, you want your employees doing high value work, right? So high value work is interacting with clients, right? Making them happy. Um, not trying to fix something that's broken in the back that should have never been broken, right? So those are, you know, we, we know those are successful. We see that happening. We know those are successful property managers. Uh, I think that's great advice. Um, any any other thoughts or anything we didn't cover that uh, that you want to talk about? Um, you know, I, I don't think so. Like I said, I, it, it's you know about having a plan. It's about understanding and, and knowing what's going on in your water system. And I think if, if people do that, um, I think that they will you know be successful in terms of, of managing their systems. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Mike. Really enjoyed having you on the show today. We, we covered Excellent. a lot uh, yes, we of, did. of topics today, but uh, <laughs> always, always interesting talking with you. Uh, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Fantastic. I look forward to having some more of these. It'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. And uh, for everyone watching or listening this virtual episode of Building Value, appreciate uh, you being with us. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Building Value.